0: Welcome to CouncilCast, news, bites, and insights from the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. I'm Sandy Laycox with the Council's Leaders' Edge magazine, here with Sean Kevillin, Chief Executive Officer of the Insurance Information Institute. How are you doing today, Sean? I'm
1: great. Thanks for having me. Good to be here.
0: Thanks for coming. We're excited to talk with you. We're going to dive right into some questions. Sounds good. First, um, discussing the rise in extreme weather events that we've witnessed uh, lately including weather trends, the uninsured rate, and the economic effects, um, and how the insurance industry can help dr- address these issues.
1: Yeah, it's, it is something that, that we see and that the statistics are behind. So you're seeing if you can go back to, to 1980, and actually Munich Re does a really good job of this where they, they visualize it for you. But if you can go back to 1980, you'll see a significant increase in terms of frequency and severity, most of which are in the meteorological or hydrological you know, storms and, and flood-type events. Um, so we see something happening. Um, and what we try and do, and I think is important for the industry to focus on, is less about what I call the politics of what's going on and more about how we get to the solutions. And And that's a real opportunity for the, for the insurance industry is let's look at things and let's focus on resilience. And let's see how we can mitigate the risks and make our communities more resilient. This is what we do as an industry, and I think we're well-poised and have a really good opportunity to do that. Uh, some of the opportunities we have are also government-based initiatives. So this year we see that there's a, a reauthorization of the National Flood Insurance Program. Can we modernize that program? Can we take it away from just be? unfortunately, politics are getting in the way of the private industry getting more involved in flood, and I don't know that that unfortunately will occur in this new reauthorization either. But can we make it more resilience-based instead of recovery-based? Um, also, we hear a lot about infrastructure spending going to spend a trillion dollars potentially on infrastructure. Can the industry help and in, in educate people? And there are uh, coalitions like the Build Strong Coalition that the industry sponsors about helping educate. And if we're going to spend money on infrastructure, let's make sure that it w- is ready to withstand what we're seeing in terms of natural catastrophes.
0: Can you discuss uh, the storm in Puerto Rico a little bit for us? What industry is coming into play there? And um you know how insurance is is playing out there, and I know it's early, so whatever early insights you may have.
1: Well, right, we're, we've obviously we've we're still in the middle of a very active uh, hurricane season, um, and we are seeing uh, the impacts through the hurricanes Harvey and Irma, and now Maria, and these are all different events in, in a lot of ways. So you saw with Harvey a flood event, You saw an Irma wind event. And then you see what's most different for, for the Maria and the insurance market is there was a significant amount of industry built in Puerto Rico with the likes of pharmaceuticals and others. So that's why we're seeing a pretty broad spectrum in terms of the amount of costs that the industry could incur, especially on the commercial side. As a result of Maria, you really saw a spike in those estimates. I think it's still too early to tell exactly what that is. But we are seeing uh, analysts predict that you could see rises in reinsurance rates and rises in commercial. What exactly and how that works, um, we'll see. On the personal side of things, it's a little different, right? Because they're so heavily regulated, rates tend to rise based on where the catastrophe happened. Because they're regulated not to change, it's uh, in fact in many states illegal to change rates broadly as a result of an event. Let's say in Texas, so. Texas, you might see uh, increases in comprehensive automobile coverage. Um, and then in Maria, I do think it's, it's a commercial-impacted uh, event, which I know is, is, a, is a large focus for CIAB, so we're going to keep our eye on that. But it's, it's a different one than, than what you would usually see in the Caribbean, for sure.
0: Going back to, to your, your suggestion for sort of getting out of the politics of the programs and into what the industry can do in terms of resilience... Do you have any specific suggestions for our listeners you know, who, who may agree with you but not sure how to go about educating or helping their clients in that way?
1: So it, it is. It's a lot about understanding where people are and where the, the risk is happening. And the trends are, um, and they've been around for years, um, Americans and people around the world love to live in risky places, right? And so as a result, um, they've got to know what those risks are. And they need to, when catastrophe strikes, um, there's an opportunity there. And, in fact, I think there's going to be a good case study that comes out of the difference between Irma's impact and Harvey's impact. So Irma, in the state of Florida, after Hurricane Andrew, you saw building codes go up and and get more solid um, in in a lot of ways, right? And I think we're seeing that um, AIR did an estimate of, of Naples, Florida. And except for the, with the exception of like motorhome communities, it was largely untouched from Irma, uh, right? And then you look at Harvey, where in that area in Houston, the building codes are virtually non-existent. So you're going to see actually an illustration and a comparison of communities and what resilience does. And I think as an industry, we need to make sure that we're we're helping our customers understand the value of that. So if catastrophe strikes, how can you build forward instead of just building back to the way that it was? That's a really key component. Moving is is sometimes a necessary evil or option um, because Mm -hmm. you just need to move out of these areas, but it's very hard to do. So I think we as an industry just need to educate our customers about what risks are out there. I think technology is going to help out with that in a lot of ways and, and allow customers to more easily understand and appreciate the risks that they may face and if they understand that then we can educate them more um it's just a, it's unfortunate um in flooding actually that we're not that our customers are not as educated as they could be and honestly the reason is is because the private market's not there so if you think about what we could do with flood if the private market was in there and it was able to market itself like we see this industry in other areas like automobile insurance and home insurance right and we're able to educate people. I mean, floods impact 90% of every major catastrophe, right? Our flood, There's a flood issue in every one. So we've got to increase our education about that, not just to help people appreciate why insurance helps, but also appreciate what it's going to take to mitigate the risk. Because honestly, the insurer and the customer does not want to suffer that catastrophe and that loss that can happen. So education is important.
0: And can you talk a little bit more about the types of technology that's emerging that might be able to help educate and, and give people some of that data that, that might help sell <laughs> the need you know, to them?
1: Yeah, there's, there's a lot of work, I think, and a lot of discussions being done um, in technology, actually, for how perhaps we can look at public-private partnerships. Um, the, the U.S. government is one of the largest holders of data, right? And this industry is built on data. So is there a way for us to work together to, to to bring the data to the industry and for the industry to help create models and understanding of where the risks exist? So that, that is an area, and we're seeing the discussions happening. We've seen actually member companies of the I working with the federal government to help them understand because they're actually not holding on to the data because they want to. They're holding on to the data because they don't know how to release it. So uh, the insurance industry can actually help and is helping firsthand with getting some of that technology there. The other side of technology, though, that's, that's really neat is the value that it can create and the value that it can create to the customer. So if you look at studies that have been done from the likes of McKinsey, we hear a lot about those certain um, what I'll call disruptors in technology that are trying to upend the market, right, much like Uber did or Airbnb did. But McKinsey actually says of the $9 billion that's going into InsurTech right now, 61% of those InsurTech companies are actually looking to drive value into the system, eliminate some of those pain points that the customer and the broker experience, get the claims paid faster, get the underwriting done faster, hold a contract in a secure place, allowing people to in and access in and out in real time. So technology is going to drive a lot of value, um, and what I would say even a lot of societal value, and that's, that should be exciting for us in the industry.
0: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, here we've been talking a lot about technology and there's a lot of that conversation going on in the industry. And it would be great to hear from you how our brokers at this point in time should be thinking about technology and how to form partnerships to work with it without, you know, spending so much money on things that aren't going down a path anywhere.
1: Yeah, and and there are good tools. I think one uh very important message for the broker community to to I think appreciate is embracing the technology, right? Um there there seems to sometimes come across that technology is going to try and take the broker out of out of the whole system. I think the relationship is just going to get stronger as a result of technology because the broker is going to sp- have to spend less time searching and and looking at various policy comparisons and things like that because technology and artificial intelligence can help them do that and they can spend more time with their customers. And especially when you get into the the complex commercial cases, that's what they need. You need that relationship there. So I think the relationship from technology is only going to get stronger from the customer to the broker and and the carrier. Um, And and I think that's important. But then if you're interested in in getting more involved and understanding where the technology is, there are initiatives and tools out there that are worth looking at. So one initiative that's out there right now is a a group called Plug & Play. So it's out of the Silicon Valley. Now, Plug & Play is what started Google, is what started PayPal, Dropbox. A lot of your household name, big technology companies came out of this incubator called Plug & Play. InsurTech is now their number one focus. Um, Everybody wants to know about this business of insurance and how they can get more involved in it. So that's one area. Becoming more involved, and we see a lot of our members. There is an insure tech uh, focus group, if you will, and it's now their biggest focus group. Every Wednesday they bring in um, insure tech companies to do a Shark Tank type of exercise, give their elevator pitch in front of the carriers, and see how they can add the value. So that's one area where Plug and Play welcomes more insurance companies and brokers to get more engaged. Uh, There are also other tools out there. For example, the Insurance Thought Leadership Group. Um, has Innovator's Edge. And this is an aggregator of virtually all insurtech companies are out there. And you can look how they're financed, you can see what they do, but you can see how they're working as well. Um, and that it's a really interesting tool, and I'd recommend anybody who's interested in finding out how can technology help my business, take a look at that tool as well.
0: It's great, great advice. Let's talk uh, about auto a little bit, switching gears a little bit here, although it does fall into the technology realm. What do you see as the future of the auto industry, and how does insurance evolve with that?
1: So the, the future of, of the auto industry, I think in, let's say, the short and midterm, um, on the personal lines, you will still see an increase, right? Um, again, re- referring back to a McKinsey report on technology, they focus in on the auto industry, and they, they predict that by 2025, in fact, profitability of the insurance industry will go up by 2x. And the reason being is technology is going to come in and create some more efficiencies, create better underwriting and things like that, that are going to help the industry. Now, between after 2025 and up until 2035, the prediction is that there's going to be a shift. Um, You're going to get semi-autonomous vehicles. You're going to get autonomous vehicles. Just because these vehicles are not necessarily crashing due to human error does not eliminate the risks associated with it. Now, it might transfer the risk from a manufacturer, you know, from a from the actual individual back to a manufacturer, but there are risks. uh, There will be risks there. These are moving vehicles. These are big technologies that are connected. So you're just going to see a different shift, I think, in the automobile market. And in that same report, they predict that even after 2035, the, the profitability of the industry, after there perhaps is a shift, is a 1.5x, again, increase in profitability for the industry.
0: Um, you have also mentioned in the past um, the Insurance Information Institute's mission to help people understand the value of insurance. And we hear a lot about you know, the importance of a translation piece. Mm-hmm. How do you do that, and why is it really important at this point in time?
1: You know, I, I think I'm in this position in some ways um, and why the I is successful is because we try and be simple-minded and I'm a simple-minded individual that, that tries to put myself in the place of somebody coming to our website or hearing us speak or uh, having to explain something to a journalist or a, po- or, or a policymaker and we try and put it in those terms that, that are easier to understand because the truth of the matter is you can't have a developed economy, a thriving economy without insurance. Um, it gets this label as being a grudge purchase um, and, and things like that, but it's driving economic growth almost more so than any other industry, right? So if it, we, we oftentimes um, are in the shadow in financial services of banking and securities, right? Well, if you look at GDP and insurance, uh, banking industry contributes right now about 2.9% to GDP, and the insurance industry is 28 then the securities industry is 1.3. So insurance is more than double in terms of contribution. And then jobs, we've got you know, 5.8 million jobs, and we've got jobs that are that are, that are going to be ready and available. We talked a little bit about that, I know, in these sessions here during the conference. Um, but simply, nobody wants to start a career in insurance. Everybody fell into it. I think the uh, speaker today said he fell into it backwards. Um, and that's a job where we're trying to make people also understand insurance and what a career in insurance means. I think all of us that are in the industry realize it's a great career. It's got great balance. You can do virtually any type of job. You want to be in finance, we got it. asset management, we're one of the world's largest. You want to do marketing, one of the world's largest in marketing. You can't watch network television without seeing at least three com- insurance commercials in a half hour, that's right? True, so yeah. so we've got a lot of opportunity in the industry. I think we just need to communicate it more and, and that's what we're focused on at the Triple I is getting a little bit more proactive um in some campaigns and we're gonna focus on talent. We hope to work with the council on that one in particular, get on campus together, those types of things perhaps. Um but also telling that economic story, focusing on resilience will be another thing. So there is a lot that the insurance industry does to serve and better society. And so we just believe it needs to be communicated, but we've got to communicate it in ways that people listen.
0: That is true. Is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with about the IIII or any of these topics?
1: You know, this event is just a great illustration of the importance of collaboration in the industry. So we have talked a lot here about disruption. We talked a lot about what's going on, natural catastrophes. There's disruption in man-made catastrophes, all of those different things. And this is a big inflection point for us. Technology is another disruption. And I think the more that we can come together in events like this, the more that we can speak in the same messaging and the same tone to our customers, we're going to be stronger. And we might be able to move that needle in terms of the reputation and perception, which is there for the taking for us. We've just got to make it happen, and I think collaboration is going to be a big part of that.
0: Well, thank you so much, Sean. This was great. And this again is the Councilcast News Bites and Insights from the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers coming to you from our 2017 Insurance Leadership Forum. Thank you. Thanks a lot.